0: Is Lloyd, Lloyd, to Lloyd, 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 Lloyd. Kane, how much does it cost to get a membership into the Mason Cox in the Finals Fan Club? Um, uh, <laughs> I know you run it,
1: so I, nah, just thought, I thought you'd have all the all the details at hand. Uh, when I saw him kicking those goals in the first quarter, <laughs> I was just thinking, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> because it doesn't matter. I've said this before. I don't want to go off on this rant just yet. But uh, again, all I've seen is Mason Cox the last few days. It's like, it's good. He kicked a couple of goals. Great. So did other players on the weekend. But this is the the greatest, the greatest, second greatest finals performance we've ever seen in the history of the AFL behind, of course, <laughs>
0: at prelim against Richmond a couple
1: of years ago. What a start.
0: Uh, yes, uh, I was I was laughing watching that and uh, and thinking of you. We'll talk about Pies Eagles a little bit later in the show. We've got some news things to, to get to. Um, let's, uh, let's talk uh, Richmond uh, at first because Tom Lynch is going to be back this week for their matchup against St. Kilda. So that's uh, obviously good news for Richmond. It's not as good news on the St. Kilda. On the St. Kilda front, Kane. They're going to be without the Saints. They're going to be without Paddy Ryder, who has going to have surgery on a hamstring tendon injury. We could tell how uh, how sad he was at the end of that game uh, against the Bulldogs on the weekend because he knew that uh, his season was over. And then of course Ben Long has also been suspended for one week for a, hit, a high uh, high bump on Jack McRae. The Saints are going to challenge that one, but with Lynch returning, with Ryder out, that is uh, the scales are already tipped in the Tigers favor. You think that tips it a little bit further?
1: Yeah, I think so. And Lynch, there was actually some reports after that game that Tom Lynch was kind of, uh, frustrated at not being able to play in that game against Brisbane. We spoke about Harris Andrews and again, we'll get into it, but we spoke about the, both of them potentially coming back. Andrews played, played really well. Lynch watched on, uh, from the sidelines, but Patty Ryder was huge in this game against the dogs. Again, not huge possession totals. He only had nine touches, but his influence in the, in the center bounces around the stoppages was uh, big and they've really become comfortable playing with that two Ruckman uh, lineup, the saints with Ryder and obviously uh, Marshall as well. So that's going to change the way that they're going to play this week. And as you said, uh, it is a, it is a big swing with, with Tom Lynch,
0: but the incident with uh, Ben long, what did you think about that? Well, he obviously hit him in the head. You could see the head mm. snap back. Um, he, I think it's an interesting one because, okay, the ball was there. He didn't attempt to tackle. Obviously he did a similar thing. I think later in that same quarter and hit his own teammate. He did a similar thing against Fremantle earlier in the year and got that three weeks for hitting Sean Darcy. So obviously the track records there that he has a, uh, a predilection maybe to, uh, to go the bump on the man rather than the tackle or the ball. So I'm pretty sure that that weighed heavily into it. It's, McRae got straight back up. It it looked terrible at the time. Oh, shit, he's down straight away here. But it appeared to me, maybe I'm wrong, it appeared to me that Long had a, um, whether it was an instruction or he put it by himself, I'm just going to run off the back of the square and I'm just going to hit a bloke. Uh, Because he he tried it twice. And I'm sure the AFL and the uh, MRO did not look kindly upon that because he he did not attempt that tackle at all. And I think that's where you're giving past history... The what the the fact that it happened later on would maybe uh you lean towards what the intent was in that incident, and the fact that he hit him in the head uh, that all adds up to the one week to me.
1: Yeah, when I was watching this, I thought straight away. I actually i I was watching him, and my dad was like next to me, and I said, "Oh," well, I said, "He already got suspended earlier in the season." Not that it uh it follows on anymore. There's no carryover points or anything like that. But I said, you know, I. I <laughs> The way that they operate and the way that they uh, penalise players, we know that the, they whether or not they say it or whether or not they admit it, I always feel like if you have a prior history of, of similar events, that goes against you. I was just reading some of the comments online to see how Saints fans were taking this. I think they're doing the right thing. You have to appeal this. It's a final. You want him to be playing. Uh, I think the problem is the medium impact, and uh, I think... Saints fans would be asking for low impact because of the fact that he did get up and keep playing and there was no real injury. But I think we've we'll spoke about this. This is the problem with the system. When you base it on uh, players getting hurt and the injury sustained, and it's never going to be fair because if that was another player, I mean, let's be honest. It was, you know, pretty... I don't want to say, like, very heavy contact, but the, in the slow-mo, I mean, you see the impact uh, on the jaw. If that was another player or potentially you just get him in a slightly different spot and break his jaw, then what, it's five weeks? Yeah. But because he got up and played at zero, and that's that's the problem with the system. So, I mean, I wasn't
0: shocked. I'll say that, that he got a
1: week. Yeah, I think
0: you, got, you could look at it, and again, adding all these things in, look, what was he trying to do in mm. that situation? Look, what was he trying to do? And you can say, well, he was trying to bump him, and that's a legal move, and it is, but he bumped him and hit him in the head. And if you're going for the bump, you run that risk. If you don't execute it properly, that you're going you're to get done regardless of impact or he broke his jaw or you know he knocked him out or whatever he wasn't trying to do something apart from hit him and when you take that risk and you hit him in the head then that's what's going to happen maybe he gets off on appeal i don't know but it appears that that's what he was looking at uh to do in that one is create a physical attack on another player not in the head necessarily I'm not saying that was his intent because we can't judge it but we know that he was trying to hit him and he got him in the head so you pay you pay that price Couple injuries down with your blokes. Uh, Joel Selwood having some surgery on his finger, and Jack Stephen dealing with a, a hamstring problem. Um, had, is Selwood likely to play with this uh, surgery, uh, finger surgery?
1: Yeah, I would think so. I would think he would play. I mean, we've got a, we've had a couple of examples uh, this year where players have had uh, the the minor. It's kind of just like the, the stabilising surgery, I guess. That's the way they describe it um, when you have a pretty bad dislocation. It wasn't a. A compound fracture or anything like that it was just a pretty ugly dislocation so I think we've seen um you know we've seen fingers we've seen hands this year where guys have uh, been able to get up and play the next week and uh and it is it's Joel Salwood. so I, I mean <laughs> I'm predicting that he's going to play on Saturday night they also get a, a couple extra days so he had this surgery the day after the game I believe on Friday so he's had eight days post that so I would expect he would play interesting though that if he wasn't going to play you might have Thought that maybe Jack Stephen would be in line to come into the team. I don't think you can. I think I've said this before. I don't think you can play both guys. Um, but Jack Stephen apparently had some hamstring issues or some hamstring tightness towards the back end of a of a practice match they played against Richmond. So I would imagine that, that maybe I don't know if the rules him out for the season, depending on what the Cats do this week. But certainly, probably this week.
0: Pretty wild that the the the, uh, the biggest blowout of the week was uh, Geelong losing by 16 points. Uh, how tight all these finals were. And the, the two on Saturday, of course, decided by a combined total of four points. Some uh, some pretty high-quality footy, I think, as well. I think I don't think anyone could complain about... You know, they've complained all <laughs> year about the standard of the footy and the game's stuffed and bring back 90s footy and we want 80s stuff. Like, the, the, the footy was really, really good all weekend. I don't think anyone could have any complaints with the way that the games were played, like I've got a complaint with the result of one game on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. I wasn't happy with that one, but in the end, we talked. Uh, we've talked about it. All year. bad kicking's going to cost the team a final. I reckon it might have. The uh, Mitch Wallace, Lockie Hunter missed goals from about. Oh, and, uh, and ba- uh, not Mitch Wallace, sorry, Lockie Hunter and Bailey Smith missed goals from about 25 out. Um, maybe that's the difference. Some some poor kicking there for the Bulldogs, perhaps cost them. Uh, and also switching off in the third quarter didn't help. But they uh, didn't didn't get the win, and, and bad kicking was a problem. Yeah, it was a theme throughout
1: all the finals. Uh, Brisbane, 10 goals 9 to Richmond, 8 goals 6. Not so much, but the other three finals, uh, there's definitively you can look. And of course, scoring shots aren't always the case. It's the opportunities within that. But we spoke about Geelong. They blew it. Uh, Yes, the Bulldogs had a couple of opportunities as well. And in the Collingwood uh, West Coast game, it was basically just Collingwood taking their opportunities rather than West Coast missing any really, really easy ones. The pies were just incredibly accurate. So I went through. And I had a look for the winners. The winners in the first week of the finals kicked 41 goals, 24, 63% uh, on those scoring shots that register. Again, that's not a perfect number, but 63%. The losers, 33 goals, 37, 47%. And the average winning margin across week one was 8.7 points. So that goes to tell you. I mean, it's, it's a goal and a half. And, uh, and 41 goals, 24 to 33, 37. It de- definitely decided some finals this week.
0: Yeah there's there's no doubt uh, about that and it's been been a problem all season and we've been uh, we've been talking about that. So the Saints the big win, uh they'd be obviously happy their first final since 2011 they get the victory they move on to take take on Richmond now so huge for them. I don't want to harp on you know, the the Bulldogs and their loss but I think yeah the credit's got to go to St Kilda because they were, they were really good until the fourth quarter where they where they struggled they were absolutely dominating that quarter but they get the victory and it would have been pretty nervous times for St Kilda fans. We talked about the dominance of those players in the, in the ruck and what Marshall was able to do around the ground and, and Paddy Ryder was able to do in the center. Um, is there any, yeah, how, how do you see, because this is a, a bit of a different performance from St. Kilda than what we've seen over the last few weeks where they had dropped off somewhat, but they were pretty impressive. And I think you know, one of the one of the impressive guys down back, dual hell, but Dan Hannaby, who's one of those players that's missed so much time this year, came in and he was super with his outside run. No, he
1: was. He was fantastic. And I, I think the interesting thing that stands out to me when I look at this game, Uh, the Bulldogs plus 16 in inside 50 so they had opportunities and again the Saints probably just looked a little bit more dangerous didn't they and they had more space they were able to have room to move and we spoke about this with St. Kilda all season long and we've also spoke about it with the Bulldogs with you know Mitch Wallace basically for a lot of the season has had to play almost as a key, key target up forward and when you looked at that and I know Aaron Norton came back in but I think it's fair to say he probably wasn't feeling 100% comfortable coming yeah, in. Coming until the in. last
0: quarter, he then, then he started to play, yeah. but he, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't even near it earlier.
1: Yeah, just wearing a helmet and coming off the facial fracture, it's a tough one to come back into the team. So uh, And down the other end, you had King for St. Kilda, who was marking everything, particularly early in the game. So uh, I think that that was the big difference. And I think if you're the Bulldogs, and uh, we spoke about it all year, I think they've got enough in the midfield. As I said, they ended up winning the stoppages despite... Um, only going with Tim English in the ruck. So I think if I looked at this game, I walked away from it with the Saints perspective. The guys, all the recruits that they brought in, so Hanabry, uh, Zach Jones, we already spoke about, Ryder again, Butler, all all these guys, all the guys that they brought in uh, had an impact as they have all season. And basically when St. Kilda have won games, the recruits have been fantastic. That was the case again. And if I'm the Bulldogs, I'm still just looking. And maybe it is just simply Aaron Norton, a healthy Aaron Norton next year, a year older. Maybe that's the guy that has the impact, but the other one is yeah. I think I think you need some
0: another big body to help out Tim English because it was a tough task against those two. Yeah, Norton seems to perform better when he doesn't have Josh Bruce sort of getting in the way, and that's and, yeah, it's small sample size, but we saw it maybe once. I think once this season where Bruce didn't play and Norton played well. And then he sort of struggled in those other moments. And then all of last year when Bruce wasn't around and Norton really played well. So I think that's a, that's a part of it there as well in terms of just having the space and having that ability to be that number one target has, has really helped him in those, you know, those opportunities that we've seen. But yeah, congratulations to Zane Kilda for getting that win and they and huge for their fans to be able to move on to, to next week after waiting so long. Now, the other game the or well, one of the other games the friday night uh, game we've got uh, brisbane who you know, knocked over the tigers getting rid of that ridiculously annoying i'm sure for them uh, losing streak that they had against richmond and this is it don't not going to talk gulking, but they didn't suffer it up and they got the win they look like a top 2 team the top 2 team that they've been all season and made the richmond team who were premiership favorites not look anywhere near as good as what uh, some of those betting markets would uh, would suggest. So what was it about this one? What Was Richmond off? Was it Brisbane just you know, showing actually how good they are? And does this change your idea of who is now favourite for the Premiership?
1: Uh, I don't know if it changes my idea for who's favourite for the Premiership, but Brisbane we saw, particularly late in the third quarter and through the fourth quarter, they did get a little bit nervous again, which is completely understandable, and I think... The fact that they won this game, I think they'll be fine. I think they'll be able to move ahead now and say, "Okay, we won a big final. But there's no doubt they're goal-kicking in the first quarter. Well, the first half, really, set them up uh, to win this game. And it started in the first uh, 30-odd seconds when Daniel Rich uh, banged that one through. I think everyone just felt uh, relaxed after he was able to kick that goal because they really needed it. But this was a really entertaining game. I actually thought at the time, because I thought the Geelong-Portale game was... a a good contest but then I thought this game was another step up I thought the intensity was up obviously uh, Brisbane in front of their home crowd was was fun to see as well but it was funny to look at the contrast of the way they played Brisbane really controlled the ball a little bit more they looked like they were more willing to move the ball by foot Uh, only 86 handballs in the game compared to 128 for the Tigers who were trying to flick it around but the pressure was up and this is the thing with the Tigers you have to be Uh, Not only do you have to bring the pressure, but you have to be disciplined with that pressure. Don't suck too many players into uh, the contest because Richmond will cut you up. And I I just thought it was a really disciplined performance by Brisbane to uh, keep numbers, uh, not only put pressure on at the ball, but keep numbers uh, in the spread as well to stop Richmond from getting those easy scoring opportunities. Because I think for most of the game, I still
0: thought, you know, Richmond might just come over the top of them here. Uh, but but they weren't able to. and
1: that's that was credit to
0: Brisbane. Discipline's a massive thing and Richmond gave away a couple of 50 meter penalties yeah, that yeah. Uh, that weren't great. The other thing is and this isn't always an indicator, but generally if you're getting put under pressure, you uh, you often will look for that quick handball, right? Brisbane had a, an over two to one kick to handle ratio which indicates that they were able to get in space uh, and they weren't under that in that rush situation quite as much. So you don't see teams with a with a two to one. Carlton was the team who would get closest to our all season, but that was more of a game style thing. Brisbane is not a two to one kick to handball team, uh, but they were able to get just significantly more kicks on the boot, and that often can lead to just having a bit more time with the ball and not being as flummoxed. And even if the pressure's there, not not falling uh, prey to it. And I think that, again, you said they did a yeah, good job, you're not not sucking into that, and um and not capitulating. And I think that that's sort of shown there in the numbers.
1: And uh, the, the other thing that stands out for me, Richmond led the inside 50 count 49 to 45. They led the set of clearances 14 to 7, uh, but they were behind in Mark's inside 50, 7 to 5. So those numbers don't really stack up, particularly for the Tigers. And again, I think that's just Tom Lynch being out. I mean, we saw it all night long with Jack Riewold. He was uh, Harris Andrews was, if he wasn't the guy uh, definitively on him in the marking contest, and I think, you know, let's be honest, Jack's been great, but I, I think in a one-on-one contest we're going to take Harris Andrews every day anyway, but his ability to come across as the third guy and intercept mark or get the fist in there is a really, really tough night for Jack, and I think it does go to show as good as Richmond have been you know, in, a, in a final, they do need Tom Lynch up there just as that other uh, that marking contest because it was just, it's just a little bit too predictable, which is not really uh, something we ever really say about the Tigers.
0: So Brisbane gets the extra week off now. An um, extra bit of time for Harris Andrews to rest mm. anything that, that uh, may have felt a bit tight in the hamstring. They'll be you know, primed, ready to go. Brisbane uh, Brisbane uh, preliminary final for them as they will look to take on the uh, the winner now of Geelong and Collingwood, which we'll, we'll talk about the Collingwood game a, a little bit later. Uh, Richmond has to back up against St. Kilda. Dion Prestia with his, his first game back, 20 touches. Um, how did you think he looked? Any rust showing in his game?
1: I mean, maybe just at times he got caught a couple of times with the ball, and you know, I mean, it's it's pretty tough to just walk into an environment like that in a final. As we said, he hadn't played for a very, very long time. Six kicks, thirteen handballs. I didn't think I didn't think he had a huge impact on the game, to to be honest. Uh, and and I think uh, the fact he only had the two clearances as well stands out there. Uh, but he he'll be better, and it might even be better for him the fact that. He'll play again this week. I know sometimes people say it's more difficult to come up in the second week, but uh, I think I think it's still a huge benefit for the team to get him back in. Uh, I, the one thing I, I did want to bring up because I've complained about it a lot: the score review. And I think, yeah, we saw a pretty important score review towards the end of the fourth quarter that overturned a Richmond goal. It was a right decision. There's no doubt about that. Uh, the last one, though. Um, I can't actually remember who kicked this goal off the top of my head. I don't know why. That's pretty poor uh, podcasting by me. But it was touched by Boston, and they went to the score review and the camera we saw on the on the TV that they were rocking back and forth was just. I mean, it was just a, it was just ridiculous. So I don't even know why they were bothering with that camera. But again. Score review, just just I don't know. It just takes too much time considering the technology they have clearly isn't good enough to prove anything that isn't absolutely obvious.
0: The camera can't zoom in enough on, on those, especially those ones where it's like forty meters out and it's uh, touched off the boot. Like how how can you tell? It's so blurry that just it just creates more confusion. Oh, I can see a finger moving. Oh, is that someone taking a drink behind them? Oh, you can't really tell. I just on that one, I think you. I don't think you can have any sort of score review for touched off the boot type calls. It's just got to be the umpire. In, in that area, who's got to make that call? I just don't see how. On the line, sure, it's a little bit easier, but on those ones where the camera is so far away, you just can't get any sort of clear look at what, whatever the hell you're supposed to look at. There, it, it's it's a really weird one. I don't think we've ever had one of those ones from thirty-five meters out yeah. that you can go, yeah, I can clearly see it's 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 touched, or I can clearly see that it's not touched. It's most like, oh, umpire's call. We'll have to have to just go with that. Isn't
1: that a little bit bizarre though that the actual broadcast camera was closer than the score review camera? Like, can they not, can they not uh, use the broadcast camera? I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, how many times we're we going to talk about this? But it was just a, it was just a bizarre one uh, to to get at the end. And also, I always do go off the player reactions because I think you can normally tell um, pretty quickly what what the case was. And the way that Vlastin straight away reacted tells me he probably touched it. Whereas uh, the one a few minutes earlier with Bolton just kicked one of the goals of the. the century and just didn't even care because i think i think he knew he, it probably hit the post and i think the the automatic uh,
0: reactions of the players tell you a lot yeah it does it's really hard to hide that that sort of thing and yeah. you you know if you've touched it yeah like you will straight away go oh i touched it straight straight away before the ball's even gone through you'll be appealing that um whereas sometimes after it'll be your you know teammate who was 20 meters away if the ball's gone through it has gone oh he touched it, he touched it but the guy who will immediately do it he will immediately do it and it's you can immediately do it or not immediately you know three seconds later then you go oh, I was touched but you, you can tell that difference it's not yeah you know, you're trying to then I guess um, legislate on people's reactions which can be a little bit tough to do but it does give you a pretty good idea. I think the majority of the time now Lynch coming back for this team. Who do we think is is the guy that's going to going to uh, have to make way and do they do they roll the dice do they make other changes? do they yeah, say we've got to win this one now it's a, it's a cutthroat game like what does Richmond do at selection
1: uh, I think the obvious one is chol probably yeah, goes so, out too. yeah i mean he he didn't have a huge impact uh in this game, and it just makes sense to me that he would be the guy uh, that would make way, even though I'd, I really like him i mean i wish I, I wish there was a, a way to keep him back in, but think about the saints and think about the fact that uh, they're going to lose Paddy Ryder, and I don't know who they're going to bring back in. Maybe I don't know whether the battle is, is a chance to come back into the team. I'm not 100% sure. But with Choll uh, being that almost third tall, he's kind of just stuck in the middle. Where do you play? I'm not 100% sure. You have the two key forwards at all times, plus Dan Curvis in the ruck. So I think Choll will be the one to make way. Well,
0: St. Kilda's also going to be losing not only Ryder, but Jake is going to be out. So mm. that's another big guy that that is out and of course getting lynch in there. so how are they how they're gonna run their their lineups in terms of you know, do we replace them with two big blokes? so they have two big blokes that they can actually bring in, one to defend, one to play rock? I'm not sure they have that sort of level of big big man depth in there. So would they just be like, well, Richmond's probably going to run the the one Ruckman here. We'll just go with an extra an extra midfielder and use our one big replacement to sort of help out with the, the loss of Carlisle down backs. So we're going to need it if they're going to have Lynch and Rewald both down there. So that is... It's going to be interesting to see exactly how both of these teams uh, approach their selection with uh, you know guys coming back and then for St Kilda guys uh, guys going out of the team with Carlisle returning to Melbourne for the uh, the birth of his child and he is a guy that his uh, future's uh, pretty much up in the air doesn't appear like he's going to be back at St Kilda next season but was it the game? The game of the week, the the game of the round, um, Collingwood and West Coast. We didn't really give Collingwood too much of a chance, but we did say they're probably the most dangerous team of the bottom four, and they get the one point victory over West Coast, knocking off the Eagles in Perth for the first time all season. Just a massive against the odds win from uh, from the dirty Collingwood team. Yeah, they were the team that I going back a couple
1: of weeks ago, as you said, we both pointed to were probably. Uh, the most dangerous from uh, the bottom three. So we didn't include West Coast in that, funnily enough. But out of the bottom three, we said which team could be most likely to make a run. Uh, we both agreed it was probably Collingwood uh, for the reasons that they were starting to get some players back. And you know, just timing-wise, when they're on, and it hasn't been very often this year, but when they are actually on and able to function in the forward 50, they can be a dangerous team. We know they have an elite midfield, a great backline. So I think we saw that on the weekend. Um. <laughs> I still thought West Coast in Perth would be able to figure it out and be able to get out a win even if Collingwood were at their best and they nearly did. The play that stands out to me, I watched the last quarter again last night and this is why, it's so funny to me because watching this game, this is exactly why AFL is so unique but also so awesome that you don't have a game clock that the players can see because the last minute was obviously pretty frenetic. And the Eagles were coming down. And I thought, they, I mean, they had, a, they had a great opportunity to score. Uh, I think it was Gaff that brought the ball inside. It was a difficult kick. The ball ended up with Archie. And rather than go back, and he had plenty of time, he still had over 20 seconds to take the mark, go back, wheel around, and, and then get the ball inside 50. And it was going to be a pretty open 50. And you would back the Eagles in that situation. Instead, he rushed a handball inboard, which was never on. And from the camera angle watching the game, you could see the handball was absolutely never on. But there was a bit of panic there. He didn't know how much time he had. He didn't know whether he had enough time to wheel around, and that ultimately uh, cost them the game in the end. That decision, because uh, West Coast turned the ball over and basically never got it back.
0: Just a a, a huge effort, and you're right. this split second decisions. It just have such a big impact in in our game and in close close uh, contests like this one. And I'm sure he'd want that decision decision back. Um, yeah, this Collingwood team. Look, it's just we can give a. a Post mortem on West Coast at another point because we're going to have lots of off season stuff to talk about. Um, Brody Grundy, still not really having the impact around the ground as he had earlier in the season, just another 12 disposals in, in this one. I thought he did okay in terms of, you know and, and played pretty well against Nick Nanui in the middle, but just didn't have that around the ground impact. I don't know what it's been for him all season. We're probably going to find out as soon as Collingwood either wins the the premiership or is eliminated, that he's going to go straight in for surgery on something. It just appears that way. But how did you rate his performance and yeah, how that now yeah, measures up for what, uh, what Geelong's going to expect from Brodie Grundy? <laughs> yeah, well
1: uh he he's probably feeling very happy this week that he's playing Geelong and doesn't have to deal with with Nick Nat again because he has been a guy that's cut the cats up in the past but yeah only 48 meters gained and 12 disposals came up with a couple of big marks in the fourth quarter that I thought were important and and he really did nullify uh Nick Nat nui in, in this game which is which is the main thing i mean you just can't allow uh Nick Nat to get those centre clearances as we sort of spoke about and and give that silver service to the West Coast midfielders the Eagles actually won the center clearances 15 to eight and the overall clearances thirty to twenty seven so I, I just thought it was strange everyone's been talking about it the fact that Grundy wasn't in there for the last center bounce Darcy Cameron was in there Buckley after the game said that Grundy's fine and there's been nothing wrong with him all season long but uh, you know the fact that they actually played Darcy Cameron uh, in this in this game tells me it, it's probably it's probably not true and I, I'm not surprised that Buckley is, isn't uh, giving anything away and isn't going to say that he's healthy. But you just look at him, and he just never looks. He doesn't look like he's moving that well. Uh, he doesn't look like the same Brady Grundy we've seen in the past. So does he have a few weeks of good finals footy in him? Probably. And, you know, I wouldn't again, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him have a monster game this week in a favorable matchup for him personally. But, you know, he did the job. But ultimately, you know, when you do look at those center clearance numbers, and uh and really the limited impact he had around the ground uh
0: it's just a continuation of a, a a down year for him there's no other way to put it yeah it has been a down year which is surprising considering he started out the season you know, against against the bulldogs all the way back in round 1 as you know just absolutely dominating in that game and he hasn't really gotten back to those heights all that all that much we talk about collingwood and kicking goals but they got three out of uh, Majacek, two from degoyi and three from cox they they are the guys that are going to need to step up especially Majacek and degoyi uh, didn't get tons of the ball, but converted when necessary. And those guys didn't uh, didn't kick a single behind. So, yeah, eight eight goals, zero out of your three major uh, goal kickers. That's, uh, it goes a long way to helping you win a game. Collingwood uh, kicked 12-4. Again, really, it wasn't necessarily bad kicking that cost West Coast, but good kicking really helped Collingwood in this one, just not missing these shots at goal. Um, the possession winners, the, the top three names you'd expect, Trelaw, Adams, Pendlebury, they're getting the ball. But Chris Main. Uh, really, really strong performance from him coming back after that uh, after that Crips hit, um, and, and being an impact guy along with Dacos and Crisp, two players who had stepped it up during the regular season. But now to to provide again that level of uh, input or level of impact that in, in a finals game in that sort of a hostile environment it is massive for Collingwood to have that second tier, but behind Trelaw, Adams and Pendlebury to have the Dacos and the Crisp step up and still provide that impact in a finals level atmosphere is massive for them.
1: Yeah, I want to go back to Majacek for a second. We spoke about him uh, last week, I believe, in regards yeah. to his contract, the fact that they uh, still still a rookie-listed player. And, and the reports or the rumors were that he was pushing back a little bit and saying, ah, oh, I want an extra year. Maybe you know three years isn't enough. Give me four years. I want to get paid this type of money. He's been one of the lowest-paid players uh, in the league for the last three years that actually uh, play in games. But I'll tell you what, his fourth quarter, taking that contested mark, wheeling around, snapping that goal, kicking that ridiculous goal, on the left as well in the fourth quarter, their season would be over if it wasn't for Brody Majek. So I reckon that he would have a pretty good case this week to say, I reckon you just give me those four years. Sure. He's been so important. We the talked about when it. Damn final, So I'm not taking anything less than that. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he's he's done everything you could have possibly asked for him. I think he's got every right now to say, give me that contract.
0: Yeah. I Look, he's been so good for them over so many years and now wins them the I say unwinnable final, but yeah, you know, hmm. obviously nothing's unwinnable. Um, that it, it, is, it is super important that they they get him on, on a decent uh, deal and and reward him for what he's done over the last three years because he's been he super important for this team. A huge win, can't stress enough how good that is for Collingwood and, and their fans, and just to see it's, ups, it's because before this, the higher ranked team on the ladder had won the previous three finals. That's We thought You know, Geelong might get Port. Richmond should beat Brisbane. The Bulldogs were probably favorite against St. Kilda. Yeah, it didn't go that way. It was the teams who had the better record during the season. And by better record, you know, St. Kilda had a, a better percentage than the Bulldogs and the other ones weren't that far off. But the team who finished higher got the win until Collingwood came out with the upset, the five versus eight upset. And now we move on to week two of the finals. As I said, it's going to be the jumper clash of the century as Geelong and Collingwood uh, battle. And then we have... Richmond and St Kilda in the other final. It's going to be super exciting. Um, how much Eddie Maguire complaints are we going to get about jumper clashes this week?
1: Uh, who knows? I think I just saw. Uh, I just saw the Cats are wearing white shorts. I think that's what. Uh, I think that's the decision that's been made. Of uh, uh, of course, it's not Collingwood that would have to make any change to uh, their uniform. We know that that couldn't possibly happen. So the Cats have uh, conceded an early concession. White shorts, I think, is the report. Oh, that's going
0: to make all the difference. But we will watch that, of course, uh, with intent to see how both of, both of these games go. And we'll be back all week to talk more AFL. Kane, thank you. Locked on AFL, we're uh, we're going well, and it's a pretty exciting time in the league. Yeah, only one of our teams are left, maybe
1: for only another seven days. So uh, I don't know. Does that mean you're on board with the cats?
0: Um, sure. In solidarity for you, I'll be I'll be on board with the cats. <laughs> no, I'm just glad you were here today, mate. I'm glad you were here. I, uh, I made it through. Lucky it was a couple of days ago, the Bulldogs lost. But guys, subscribe and you'll never miss a show. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. And give us a five-star review on the old Apple Podcast. today. I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Glenn Coleman.